Welcome to Dental Dilemmas, brought to you by the ADA Council on Ethics, Bylaws, and Judicial Affairs, and I am your host, Alex Mellion. Today, we continue a series of episodes that were recorded live at the ADA's annual SmileCon meeting in Houston, Texas. Using the ADA's Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, we will analyze one of the Council's most popular ethical moments. The ethical question was posed by Dr. Jill Burns in a previously published article in December of 2018. A patient came into my office last week who had been seeing another dentist in town. I performed my usual new patient examination and was dismayed to find several restorations that were subpar at best. The restorations had open margins and large interproximal overhangs that were causing swelling and acute local periodontitis. I delicately questioned the patient about the age of the restorations and I learned that most of them had been placed in the past year. The patient then explained that she was switching to my practice because assistants did most of the work of the other practice and she was uncomfortable with that. The patient was also concerned because the dentist never came back to check the assistant's work. The patient was dismissed when the assistant was finished. The patient brought up the fact that the restorations felt rough and there was a ledge that routinely caught food in the area. The assistant had told her that the restorations would smooth out over time. What ethical obligations do I have to the patient, to my colleague, and to the profession? Dr. Burns, uh, thank you for joining us today um, to discuss your article on when a colleague has provided suboptimal care. Um, this is a topic we've touched on in podcasts previously, but there are so many different angles and scenarios and just different ways and approaches, so I'm excited to be uh, talking about this. Um, again, we're continuing our live um, from SmileCon series, so if you hear a little background noise, that's what it is. But before we uh, go into the article, Dr. Burns, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you practice? Um, sure. I'm a dentist in Richmond, Indiana. I've been practicing in my practice for 30 years. Um, I was actually a Navy dentist for seven years, so have a little bit of experience out of private practice. But I love being a dental practitioner in a small town. Wonderful. Um, and how did you select dentistry as a career path? And could you tell us a little bit about your experience maybe going into the Navy? And um, how did you get from there and continue to be involved in organized dentistry? Well, I selected dent uh, actually I wanted to be a physician since the time I was six and then I got to college and I didn't like to do all-nighters and all the medical students I knew stayed up all night for 72 hours and I said I can't do that so I had a friend who said you should be a dentist and I'm like ooh spit no I'm not gonna do that but anyway I went and saw my family dentist and he uh, showed me pictures from an oral pathology book and it was like awesome so that switched me completely uh, and I've, I love this. Um, organized dentistry, we have a very small component over on the eastern side of Indiana, and they were just so welcoming and, and loved having someone new be a part of them, and I just fell in love with it. And before I knew it, um, they had me involved in all kinds of things and involved at the level locally and then went on to national. Okay, wonderful. Um, and getting into the article a little bit, like I said at the intro, um, this is such a, I think, a pertinent topic. And I personally remember being at um, annual session in Orlando um, about 10, 12 years ago as a student. And there was a luncheon that was put on, probably by Sebja, in hindsight now looking at it. And I remember just this pretty much exact scenario a question was asked. And my answer now is very different than when it was as a student, just the thought process of practicing a little bit. So. Um, what approach do you take um, with your patients when you need to let them know that they're that you've noticed something that isn't that is suboptimal 
um, in that you'd, when you just discovered on a, a new patient on, upon examination or previous work? Well, I, I, of course, I, I do a complete exam, and then I say that I have concerns. I point out the concerns. Um, we talk about it, and then I give the patient opportunities to choose treatment. It's only when they tell me that it's somebody else's work that I said, well, this person may have um, learned something different than me. Someone may have gone to dental school in a different era. Um, this is what I think that you should do. And of course, it is your decision. Okay. Great. And I think, and you touched on it a little bit, but how do you walk that fine line of kind of not being disparaging? And you already answered that a little bit, but I think that's such a, a nuance sometimes of kind of that approach? Well, a part of it is being um, a dentist for a long time. Because if you look at something and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I would never do anything like that. And then you get in the mouth and you try to do a filling on this person and you find out exactly why the other dentist did it. It's rather humbling. Yes. So I wouldn't want anybody else to throw me under the bus. So I don't throw anybody else under the bus. I try to be kind and uh, let the patient know, you know, why things are the way they are. No, and I think that's a wonderful uh, rule to live by for sure. Um, and then if it's a, a dentist that you know in the area, do you, do you ever offer to the patient to reach out and discuss that with the dentist to have some more background or... Um, do you normally just say, recommend to the patient, this is what I recommend, and kind of leave it at that? Um, I, what I usually do is, if they have brought up the other dentist, I said, well, you know, I can reach out and talk to them. Um, and then you can have it done, uh, redone by this other dentist. And sometimes they say, yeah, usually they don't. Um, but a lot of times they'll say, well... Um, what would you do? And I said, well, you have to do what's comfortable for you. And I am very willing to help you out. If you want to go see another dentist and get it checked out, then that would be fine. But it, the choice is totally up to you. Okay. No, I think that's a great approach. Um, and then in the article, again, you, you talk about specifically how you sit down and have the discussion. And that's something that I, I appreciate because I know having some of these conversations before, just where you even start as a new dentist can be, um, you don't know where to go. So um, where, if you have that, are looking to have that discussion, kind of what approach or steps do you go through if the dentist says, sure, um, how do you sit down with them and go over everything? Well, I called and I said, I think we have a mutual patient. Um, that I have some questions about your treatment planning. And sometimes what I find out is that it's actually the patient and their uh, misunderstanding of what the treatment plan was. <laughs> or I find that there was something specific that they ran into that isn't totally evident on my clinical findings, or that they don't understand. Um, I, and then we talk it through. And one way I've actually done it before is said, I know this is a really tough case. Would you like to bring this as a study case to a study club? And we can all talk about the treatment together patient had mentioned that they felt like the dental assistant was doing work that wasn't checked. Um, how do you handle that situation? Do you, again, discuss it with the dentist? Do you go straight to peer review um, or the state dental board? What approach do you take with that? Um, actually, when this did happen to me, um, I talked to the dentist directly and found out that the um, they didn't understand the state law. 
so that then they changed what they did. Um, in Indiana, we're not supposed to take other dentists to peer review. So that doesn't happen. Sometimes, if it's really egregious, people will go to the state board. What I've found helpful, too, is to go through our, our state organization, the IDA, um, to have someone who's local discuss with the person um, things out of the act. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole point is to keep the patient safe. Some of these assistants are very well trained, but they need to be... Uh, educated on what they are legally bound to be able to do. No, absolutely. And how, and I know I'm asking a lot about processes, but I think a, a lot of dentists don't know what, how they would even contact the state, your state, and then set up that interaction with the dentist. Um, how, how does that work in Indiana? At the, at the state association? Correct. Um, I would just have them call the state association and okay. talk to a specific person. Okay. Um, we do have someone who oversees peer review, and um, they could either send uh, the request to the trustee or to the executive director or to one of the officers of the organization to help out with that. Okay. Um, and if a patient chooses not to have the work redone, um, what avenue do you go if it's something like a, a large open margin on a crown, um, it's a new patient in the practice and you've, you've had these discussions, what then do you, do you recommend? Do you keep them in your practice? Do you watch it? Um, I usually, if, if they refuse treatment, I let them know everything that could go wrong. And I know that uh, all of us dentists have been in this scenario. <laughs> so I tell them what I'm looking for. Um, I tell them what may happen. Um, I a lot of times use the analogy of a car that if you fix it now, it's going to cost less than when you fix it later. So most of them respond really well to that. Um, but I'm always respectful of their decisions, um, both for themselves and their health and financial. Okay. Wonderful. Um, and I think respecting their autonomy is, is obviously an important part. Um, what parts of the code do you see relevant in this article? Oh, um, definitely justice and fairness to the patient. Um, veracity, I think, is huge because you have to be truthful. You can't sugarcoat things. Um, you have to just tell the patient what, what they need to hear, even though it isn't easy to do it. Right. Um, and just being kind is a part of being a dentist. Beneficence. Boy, I never can say that word. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Beneficence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, personally, what does being an, uh, an ethical dentist mean to you, and how do you incorporate in your practice? I feel that it impacts every single thing I do. Um, we, were, we have a mission statement, and part of that mission statement is to treat all of our patients like family. And my staff is trained to do the right thing, whether it's hard or easy, and they... I feel like I have to set the example of always choosing to do the right thing. And it's amazing how they follow that lead. Yeah. I think that, that culture is, is important to any, any, real, any group or tribe or relationship, so I couldn't agree more. Um, and then what advice would you give to a newly graduated dentist or somebody that's it's fresh in practice in regard to ethics? And if you kind of had one point that you'd like to, um, for them to take home, what would that be? I actually uh, have lectured to 
uh, D1s quite a bit about ethics. And one way I put it, it's a very old cliche, but you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And you need to always listen to the angel. Because if you're not in it to help the patients, then you're not in it for the right reasons. Um, even though you might have a bill to pay or somebody is pressuring you for something, you always have to do what is right for the patient to heal them and yourself comes second. I couldn't agree more. Um, and just finishing up, we're obviously at SmileCon. What are you excited about being here and what are you looking forward to? I love being with all my friends. Um, in Indiana, actually, my catchphrase this year is a network of friends, and we're all working together to get stuff done for dentistry. So it's always so exciting to come here and see what's going on in the country as far as what's important to dentists who are members of the ADA and how we can help them in their practices and their lives. and getting things done to make things better for our patients. Oh, wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you, and thanks for talking through this, these scenarios and answering all the details. So thank you so much, and um, look forward to um, spending some more time with you in District 7 soon. Thank, thank you, you, Alex. Yep. A final note about the episode. Please see the show notes for a link to the original article and stay tuned for future episodes. At the close of the episode, continue listening to hear the sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct pertinent to the original Ethical Moment article. Thank you for keeping ethics at the forefront of the dental profession, and join Sibja as we continue to solve dental dilemmas. This article discusses three sections of the ADA's Principles of Ethics and Code of Professional Conduct. These sections are as follows. Section four, justice. The dentist has a duty to treat people fairly. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to be fair in their dealings with patients, colleagues, and society. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include dealing with people justly and delivering dental care without prejudice. In its broadest sense, this principle expresses a concept that the dental profession should actively seek allies throughout society on specific activities that will help improve access to care for all. Section 4C, Justifiable Criticism. Dentists shall be obliged to report to the appropriate reviewing agencies as determined by the local component or constituent society instances of gross or continual fault treatment by other dentists. Patients should be informed of their present oral health status without disparaging comment about prior services. Dentists issuing a public statement with respect to the profession shall have a reasonable basis to believe that the comments made are true. Section 4C1, meaning of justifiable. Patients are dependent on the expertise of dentists to know their oral health status. Therefore, when informing a patient of the status of his or her oral health, the dentist should exercise care that the comments made are truthful, informed, and justifiable. This should, if possible, involve consultation with the previous treating dentist or dentists in accordance with the applicable law to determine under what circumstances and conditions the treatment was performed. A difference of opinion as to preferred treatment should not be communicated to the patient in a manner in which unjustly implies mistreatment. There will necessarily be cases that will be difficult to determine whether comments made are justifiable. Therefore, this section is phrased to address the discretion of dentists and advises against unknowing 
or unjustifiable disparaging comments against another dentist. However, it should be noted that where comments are made which are not supported and therefore unjustified, such comments can be the basis for the institution of a disciplinary proceeding against a dentist making such statements. Section 1. Patient Autonomy The dentist has a duty to respect the patient's right to self-determination and confidentiality. This principle expresses the concept that professionals have a duty to treat the patients according to the patient's desires, within the bounds of accepted treatment, and to protect the patient's confidentiality. Under the principle, the dentist's primary obligations include involving patients in the treatment decisions in a meaningful way, with due consideration being given to the patient's needs, desires, and abilities, and safeguarding the patient's privacy. Section 5. Veracity. The dentist has a, tr a duty to communicate truthfully. This principle expresses a concept that professionals have a duty to be honest and tr trustworthy in their dealings with people. Under this principle, the dentist's primary obligations include respecting the position of trust inherent in the dentist-patient relationship, communicating truthfully and without deception, and maintaining intellectual integrity. Remember to keep ethics at the forefront of your daily practice, and stay tuned to Sibja Decode's Dental Dilemmas.